there is an article in the Globe and Mail written by a former um, director of CSIS, director of operations. His name is Andrew Ellis, and he's also the CEO of Ison Group, which is a uh, a private security firm he co-founded in 2016. And I find it kind of shocking because uh, basically what Andrew's saying is that Canada's no ransom policy is flawed. He's on the show right now to explain. Andrew, thanks for being here. Good afternoon, Kelly. How are you? I'm great. I'm going to bite. How is it flawed? Well, you know, it's not necessarily flawed as a policy. It's, I think it's flawed in the way it's interpreted. The policy itself, I mean, let's be honest, any government or government official is going to say, we should never pay a ransom because there is a belief that a ransom will beget more kidnappings. Statistically, that's actually not true. Uh, kidnappers tend to take people with opportunity. They'll grab someone who looks wealthy enough to pay a, pay a ransom or it seems valuable because mm. of their ethnicity or nationality and work out whatever value they have later. Well, that so doesn't the make theory, you feel so secure when you're traveling around. The theory, well, you know, that's funny you say that because travelers should really prepare themselves and educate themselves before they go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an understanding of where they're going and how to comport yourself and how to, how to notice things that are going to get you into trouble. And how to, you know, how to make sure you don't get into trouble in the first place. And that's, that's sort of how I get into this is realizing that people are in some terrible positions around the world. And almost all of them could have avoided it had they taken appropriate measures first. Right. So you're saying that actually uh, we should change, uh, at least reconsider the no negotiation policy. How so? Well, OK, there you go right there. What is no negotiation? See, this is what happened. Or no ransom, I apologize. No, but you see, there you go. But you're absolutely right. You're using those words because I think people in the government don't know what it is. What I'm saying is if there's a policy, if there's a no negotiation policy, no ransom policy, no concession policy, that needs to be defined very specifically for officials. What does that mean? What is a concession? What is a conversation? What is a negotiation? What is a ransom? And where are the lines where we can go and not go? Then I would take it one step further. In 2015, the Obama administration changed the law in the United States because an unfortunate young woman was killed by the Islamic State because her American representatives refused to talk to them when it came to concessions, ransom or anything else. Mm. And they finally got frustrated, hung up the phone and, and murdered her. So the question is, Should the family be able to avail themselves of people in the private sector, of experts, of advice, of friends, of family that might be able to do what the government can't do? So I understand that the government can't do things. The United States understood the government can't do things, and they took a different approach. Our very hard and fast policy, I think, puts us in some some peril. And, you know, I'll give it the best example I can possibly give is. To fight terrorism, and you know, I've done this in my career, you, you fight them on the battlefield, you gather good intelligence, you do dogged police work. But in this case, you're asking the families of victims to be the front line of your war on terror. You take a hard line. You take a hard line and don't pay a ransom. You take a hard line and don't make any concessions. I think it's wrong. It's the government's responsibility to protect people. Use whatever resources you can to help them. Look at each kidnapping case as a standalone issue and make your judgment based on that. And that's all I'm suggesting. It's the interpretation of the policy, who can use it, 
you know, and to make sure that people don't get in trouble trying to do the right thing. Because they, they can, correct, right? Yes, they can. If How so? advance the interests of a terrorist group, for example. Mm-hmm. So you give money to the Islamic State to get your child out of harm's way. You could be charged under the criminal code. It's never happened because the attorney general has to sign off on it, and that would be horrible. But families are terrified. Families are terrified to go to friends, relatives, neighbors to say, I'm raising money to pay a ransom. Help me. I can't help you. I can't give money to a terrorist group. Organizations, consultancy organizations, kidnap and ransom insurance companies say, I can't be involved in this because if the money I give you goes to pay a ransom to advance a terrorist group, they may not send you to jail, but they may send the insurance company to jail. See, now, when I think about paying ransoms, I just I can't understand how uh, paying ransom isn't encouraging someone to take hostage, you know, hostages, because if that's a legitimate way for them to make money, why wouldn't you do that? So so your 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 sole purpose is not to do that. This is what I talk about judgment calls. You need to exercise judgment in every situation. Does it encourage? Yes. But when let's say 60 to 80% of the world or more are paying ransoms. They kidnap whoever they see mm. and figure out who they are later. That right. really matter. Okay, I, I understand that. You're also alleging that when it comes to the federal government, sometimes they actually um, work around the rule of we don't pay ransoms. How so? Um, I don't th- I mean, I don't know anything about that for a fact. That, that, I think there's been some supposition in the, in the media a little bit about I don't know about that for a fact. But I think there has been cases where Canada, America, European countries have paid ransoms and have brought people home safely. And uh, I'm not going to confirm or, or deny any particular case, but it has proven to be true. Recent studies, as I made reference to in the Global Mail, have proven absolutely that countries who pay ransoms have more of their citizens survive. It's a terrible thing, but it's a reality. How responsible should we be for ourselves, though? You know, when you talk about the Boyles, uh, these are the this is the Canadian fella and his American wife, and they uh, went. They were backpacking. She was two months pregnant. She now has two kids, and they have been held for years. Uh, in Afghanistan, they decide to go backpacking through Afghanistan. I mean, to me, that just seems uh, not the wisest of decisions. So how much responsibility should they assume? Yeah, well, that's that's a very good question. I think I'd ask the same people who backpack through certain parts of Latin America as as this couple did before. People do dumb things. They do naive and and reckless things. People ski off the path Mm -hmm. and get in an avalanche. But that doesn't mean we don't rescue them. That doesn't mean that because someone's done something reckless and stupid and ill-advised that the country isn't still responsible for them. I hope when I do something that's ill-advised and reckless that my country will help me. Earlier you mentioned that that people should prepare. How do they do that? Prepare, you know, it's all about training. It's all about an understanding of the environment that you're going in and training and exposing yourself to be aware of that. There's new law that came into effect in Canada in 2016 that says that if you travel, for example, for business purposes, your company is supposed to A, train you, B, make you aware, and C, make sure you're up to date on not only how to comport yourself and keep yourself safe, but that you will get continuous information so that when you land on the ground, you continue to be safe. Well, most companies are in non-compliance of that. 
So there's a, there's a lot of discussion right now of people in my world who are saying, well, maybe we can help. Maybe we can help to to make sure that people satisfy the duty of care that the courts have put on them in the first place. But that's just business travel. What you learn for business travel will keep your family safe. You know, there's lots and lots of information on the Global Affairs Canada website, where to go, how to comport yourself, what to do. Read it. Mm -hmm. People have a responsibility to train and educate themselves or come to people like the Eisen Group and we'll help you do it. So what you're basically saying with your article in the, in the Globe and Mail, and it's a long read. I didn't have a chance to go through all of it. I kind of uh, skimmed it, and I will uh, sit down and have a read after the show. But is that, you know, we should be looking at uh, any kind of hostage taking on a case-by-case uh, basis. We should be looking at it and figuring, do we pay a ransom in this situation? What can we do? But the main goal is to get the, the people home, our Canadians home. Yep. Keep people, keep people safe. Understand that each situation is different. There's a mag- just enormous in- in difference between a kidnapping by a criminal group in Latin America who wants $10,000 or $5,000 from your bank account and a kidnapping by a terrorist group. They need to be dealt with differently. But in each case, the government needs to be there to help. The other thing that I want to leave you with is support for the victims' families. It's next to nothing in this country. Mm. There were stories in the Star, stories in the CBC last winter time that talked about all of the families who've had loved ones kidnapped abroad. They all tell the same story. There's no psychological support. There's no medical support. There's no financial support. You know, these people are out trying to rescue their loved ones and not going to work. What, how long can you do that when your loved one's kidnapped for four and a half years?